healthy from the inside out. This is Valley Well by a Salud, a health and wellness information program brought to you by ValleyWise Health and District Medical Group. Each week, we go in-depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to Valley Well by a Salud. I'm your host, Lauren Vargas. We've been talking about different aspects of the COVID-19 pandemic for the last several weeks on this show. And today we want to dive into elective surgeries. So for over a month, we've had to deal with postponing or canceling many important events in all of our lives. And that includes some surgeries and medical procedures. Now, as of May 1st, Arizona hospitals are allowing elective surgeries to take place again, but there's a lot more to it than just flipping the switch. So joining us today to discuss are Dr. Ross Goldberg and Dr. Sydney Vale. Thank you both for being here. Hello. Our pleasure. So first of all, why were some of these procedures postponed in the first place? So here's the issue when it comes to elective surgery. There's a lot of misnomers. So let's let's clear some things up. So when we talk about elective surgery, all we're talking about are those that planned to come to the hospital. So it's planned outside the hospital. You've got your patients come in the emergency room. That's more urgent. So elective cases, that's a broad range, right? Cancer cases, an elective case. A cosmetic procedure is an elective case. The early studies and what we're finding is because we wanted to have resources available for we didn't know what was coming. Those that really were purely elective, that those are optional, they can be delayed, were postponed because we didn't know what we needed in the operating room, in the ICUs, in the hospital, because we expected a large surge of patients. It's that you're planning for things. Surgeons were built on triaging, planning, and having our everything set up ready to go. So because we didn't know what was coming, the prudent thing was to take those that were purely elective that could be postponed without really causing issues or damage for the long term and kind of delaying them a little bit. It's like as if I was going to, and again, I use this as an example, if I was going to go away for whatever reason for a few weeks, I would take those cases that I, since I wouldn't be here, delay them knowing that they're not going to cause permanent harm, you know, maybe temporary uncomfortable, but not permanent harm. So that was the approach by taking those truly elective that didn't need to go right now and waiting. So we had more resources because we didn't know what would be coming in the door. There's a second part of that. Uh, Certainly, Dr. Goldberg has the first part nailed down. The second part is people would have a fear, as everyone should have a fear, that the highest cohort, the highest groupings of patients who potentially are positive are gonna be in a hospital. So why cross-contaminate anybody? So we don't want them coming to the hospital to potentially cross-contaminate. Now in our hospital, we're really lucky. We totally separated everybody early on. So if you even thought you were gonna be infected, you were in a separate area of the hospital being dealt with by separate personnel and separate resources, everything was different. Most people don't know that, so they had a fear that they would come to the hospital and get sick or get exposed to somebody who was sick. And then, as Dr. Goldberg said, it's use of resources. We want to make sure we have enough resources to treat the really ill people who need our attention now, not those people who have a, want to have an elective procedure, which can be done weeks or months later. So that must have been a really difficult um, conversation to, to have amongst yourselves and then reaching out to all of these patients. How did that work and how did you choose? I know, you know, who got a surgery now and who didn't? 
Um, so I got to be the lucky point person to reach out to all the surgeons initially. Uh, I thanked Dr. Val and the other leadership for letting me take that on. But I'll be honest, though. So I remember the, actually the whole the phone calls and when it occurred. And I will tell you, every single surgeon to a T when I called and explained what was going on, no, no problem. They understood right away and they agreed. They said, this is what I can do. This is what I can't. Now, you're saying, how do we decide? Well, I am a general surgeon. I am not an orthopedic surgeon. I am not an ENT surgeon. I'm not a urologist. So I can have some idea of what is more urgent for those specialties, but we really did rely on our specialists to know what truly was urgent and not. And so I called and asked them and they reviewed their cases. And what we, were do we, we have been doing really since then is every week take a new assessment and ask what's going on, what they're doing, how they're doing, and they're assessing the patients and we're relying on their clinical judgments to make those calls. Patients aren't happy, but as Dr. Vale alluded to, they also, some of them were very thankful they didn't have to come to the hospital because they were afraid. I actually had one patient thank my scheduler on canceling the case because I didn't want to step foot in the hospital. And part of it is also the fact of what is your practice? A lot of surgeons have very elective heavy practices. So most of what they see is planned ahead of time. And that's a good thing for them. Unfortunately, now they're very slow. Here at Valleywise, a lot of what we do is based on urgent or emergent cases. So we're operating, we're still operating every day. So our elective volume, as it's a good volume, but it's not the majority of what we do. So for us, it was a little different in the city. You take a place like Mayo Clinic, where the vast majority of their surgeries are elective, then it's changing how everybody looks at this. It's a bigger hurt for them and their patients to wait versus us. Absolutely. So do you think all of this effort was worth it? Now that we're looking looking to resume some of these elective procedures, um, were we did we get the surge that we expected? Was it all, you know, part of the plan? Well, uh gonna answer that in two ways. We did not see the surge we expected, dot 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 yet. Knock on wood. Right, exactly. We are very, very fortunate as compared to other places in America right now. But number two, I think it also reminds people of what elective surgery really means. Is it necessary? Elective, and I'll use, I'll pick on the cosmetic surgeons. I want to raise my eyebrows. I want to fix my nose. I don't like my chin. That is something that you are determining you want to have. You don't have to have it. It's not necessary. It's actually not even clinically indicated. It's elective cosmetic versus people who decide, I have something I would like to have done, but society has always said, get it done. You can have this done. There are surgeons everywhere and hospitals everywhere. I think it's realigning people's priorities into what is necessary versus what is not necessary. So I think it's been an eye-opening experience for a lot of people and hospitals and doctors. Absolutely. So what have these surgeons been up to the last month if you know these procedures aren't happening? I, I think it's funny. Yeah. So you talk about, and it's funny, we talk the word surgeon, then we get kind of moved aside from the rest of the physician community, right? You, people refer to physicians and surgeons as if we're some different type of entity that exists. We're still physicians and we still have patients to take care of. So just because we're not operating, which is actually not the majority of our time, we spend time seeing, taking care of patients. There were still the inpatients we were taking care of. 
and our clinic patients. We actually integrated telemedicine into our clinics to start reaching out. We have post-operative patients and established patients we still follow. So it, it gave us more time to spend with our patients, maybe wear, not wearing our masks and with them awake and us talking to them. But, you know, we are still taking care of patients. We just don't have the ability to do the procedures like we normally do because we're not in the operating room. So I think a lot of surgeons who were very, very heavy elective practices, number one, they started reaching out to hospitals to say, hey, do you need somebody to take call in your emergency room that they never did before? Or they're calling other places to work part-time to have an income because if you're an elective surgeon and you're told that there are no elective surgeries that are going to occur, you're not operating. So it makes for an interesting dynamic. There are a lot of surgeons who are out hiking, biking, fishing, doing whatever hobbies they have because they weren't operating. For those of you just tuning in, we are speaking with Dr. Sidney Vale and Dr. Ross Goldberg about resuming elective surgeries in Arizona. And if you need to make an appointment with Valleywise Health, you are more than welcome to um, make an in-person visit if needed or a telehealth visit uh, by calling 1-833-855-9973. That's 833-855-9973. Or you can book an appointment on our website at valleywisehealth.org. So, the governor uh, announced on May 1st that um, surgeries could resume under certain guidelines. So what happens now? What's the next step? How are we preparing to to do that? So like anything, it's not turning on a light switch. I actually, I give him credit for the analogy he used. It's not like it's using that dimmer and slowly bringing things back on because you can't just turn everything right back on. It's a brave new world, right? We have new processes we have to do. For one thing is all elective surgery have to be tested preoperatively. So you need to get a swab, that pleasant, you know, deep nasal swab that you've seen and heard about. Every patient who has to go to the operating room for an elective surgery needs to get that done. So every hospital, including ours, has to put a process in place to screen everyone because we have again, the problem that's been with this whole system is that we're still very new in this disease. Only this calendar year, really. So the data is limited. So the limited data we have, we want to be extra careful. So we want to make sure if you're asymptomatic but positive that you're not going through the stress of a surgery that can be delayed. So we're going to screen everyone. There's a process being built and put into place. And the idea is we screen them. If you're negative, then we go through our normal operative procedures. If you're positive, then we have to delay and kind of reassess and go from there. So we are putting, putting all those processes in place right now so that we can open things safely for everyone and have that up and running. And again, it shows a credit to all of our teams. This takes a multi-team effort from IT through electronically to our nursing staff, the clinic, leadership, the OR. Everyone has to be involved and play a role in it. And we've really kind of mapped out how this is going to work. And we should be opening that soon for our patients. There's three parts to that. Just to go on that question. Number one is the economics. People need hospitals need the income from surgeries to sustain. Hospitals got into a lot of trouble financially over the last several months. And certainly by turning on this switch slowly, at least you can start to get patients back through your system. No one ever wants to talk about the money aspect, but this is a business, plain and simple. Number two is the surgical risk. And Dr. Goldberg nailed it with, we have to be careful and test everybody because the risk of surgery, no matter what it is, is always something. Well, if you are positive and you have that surgery, it magnifies your risk tremendously. We've proven this in New York. We proved this in Chicago and some other cities where they operated unknowingly on positive patients who had an exaggerated 
uh, amplified response to the stress of surgery. Normally, you just wake up and you're fine. These people were waking up and they weren't fine. So we are taking our time and doing this smart. As he said, this is not just flip on the light switch. This is called be careful and don't harm the patients. So we're trying to be smart about this. Absolutely. So let's talk about the lingering fear that people might have. You said you're going to test everyone who comes in. Do you think that will keep people from, um, you know, rescheduling these elective appointments, despite the fact that, you know, things are, are as safe as they can be? Mm, that's a good question. I don't know, you know, there's, if you have 10 patients waiting in your office, you're going to have 10 different patient opinions of what their fear level will be just for regular surgery. So I think there will probably be an increased amount of concern or anxiety when it comes to this. And nobody wants to be the guinea pig and be the first patient coming into a hospital. But <clears throat> certainly we can assure people we have a excellent, excellent system in place and process in place where we have segregated and separated the patients who are potential or positive, And we have uh, looked very carefully at keeping those new patients, these elective patients, separate from those patients. Plus, we're testing. So we are really trying to make it as safe and low stress as possible. Will it be no stress? No. But they also have the choice. This is elective. They don't have to do it. They will be offered the possibility to do their case. And what about people who need to go to the hospital and it's an emergency. There's been a lot of coverage about, um, you know, the, the COVID uh, units are very busy, but people who are having heart attacks are no longer coming to the hospital. And those types of, um, you know, procedures and, and trauma is, is disappearing. So what's your reaction when you hear that? That's got to be kind of scary. It's a shame because people that need to come to an emergency department should come. Um, we make it as safe as possible. You know, whether you talk about social distancing, cleaning and wiping down every surface, people are all wearing masks. We're trying to make it as safe as possible. Can we guarantee it's hundred percent? No, no one can guarantee it's hundred percent. But if you're having a major medical problem, we want you and encourage you to come to the hospital to be examined and to find out, is this a real problem or not? It is not the time to question your luck. Is it lucky that I'm okay or is it lucky that I'm not okay? But you really should be smart enough to say, yes, it's time to come to the hospital. We will take good care of you. And if it's nothing, we'll send you home. But if it's something, again, you will not be with COVID positive patients or COVID uh, investigational patients. You will be completely separated, taken care of by separate staff. And, and here's the thing also people seem to forget because with all the press behind COVID and how hospitals were slowing down. We didn't close the hospital. We're still here. And we're here for that very reason is that no matter what else goes on, things happen. Life happens. Emergencies happen. You know, you don't plan. I mean, maybe some trauma has gone down because there's no one on the road, which, you know, we're all social distancing. But you being isolated in your house doesn't stop your appendix from acting up. You know, doesn't stop other problems from occurring. Doesn't stop the heart attack. Like that doesn't protect you. So if it happens, thinking that you'll be okay and ride it out at home almost guarantees that things will be worse and you could be in the hospital longer if someone finds you in a bad situation. And we understand the fear. As Dr. Vale said, we do our best to protect. But honestly, you're never going to be 100% walking outside, right? There's always risks with everything we do and you don't want to make it worse. Uh, no one likes to be in a hospital. We get that. 
We hear that every day. Even without COVID, no one likes coming to see a doctor, right? That's not the highlight of your day. You don't want to have to be having to have to deal with medical problems. You want to go live your life. We want to get you in and get you out safely and taken care of. If you wait and delay things, you actually make your stays longer. And so you have to see us more often than you'd like. So it actually is in your best interest to come in when things are starting to happen. We take care of it and we can get you home. And just as a little hint, the emergency room volume is way down. You get seen a lot quicker. <laughs> uh, yep. And I think people need to hear that. Definitely. If you're just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Ross Goldberg and Dr. Sydney Vale about uh, the next step and resuming elective surgeries and some of these other procedures. Do we expect a huge rush now? Um is there a backlog of people waiting for their nose jobs and their knee replacements? And how do we handle that if that's the case? So that's a yes, there's a backlog. We'll think about it. So these cases haven't gone away. We've been waiting and there's new cases that come behind it, right? People are still seeing their doctors. So we have a, a, a set number of cases that we have to now kind of catch up with and take care of. Um, again, I'm out of cosmetic practice, but you know, gallbladders, hernias, these all have been sitting and waiting because we've asked them to please be patient while we figure this out. And they fortunately, it's been okay. They haven't had too many problems, but we need to take care of them now. So now like turning on the dimmer switch, how do you slowly bring them back in? It's going to be a different approach to maybe how we normally do the operating room, how we schedule things, how we plan for it. Do we need to use different days? Do we need to do it on the weekends when we normally didn't? It's all these creative ideas on getting more people in efficiently and safely. But again, it's going to take time to catch up like with anything. You stop anything for a little while, you're going to get some sort of backlog. That's just a natural process because everything's shut down in the city and the state. So it's not like you can go somewhere else to get it done. So there's a large number of patients who've been patiently waiting, and now it's up to us to kind of help get them taken care of. So other than the COVID swab that's going to be required for your procedure, how are things going to look different for the patient? Let's say someone had their, their left knee replaced, and now they're waiting to get their right knee replaced, and they go back in expecting something. It's a different world now. So how, how can they prepare for this? Well, a lot more people wearing masks. That's the first thing. That's that's kind of a common thing we see now. We screen everyone coming in the hospital, right? So you're going to get, even the day of surgery, ask if you're, sim if you're symptomatic. You're going to see people in masks. We're going to be distancing people. Uh, family members are going to be limited. It just everything is going to limit the chance of, of any chance of exposure. Uh, so it's going to be an odd thing to not see someone's face. Now, in the operating room, there are a lot of people in masks anyway. So when you're actually in the operating room, you're the only one without a mask. The rest of us are in masks already. So that doesn't change. But all the area around it in the pre-op area, the recovery room, if you have to be in the hospital afterwards, it's an odd sight. We're not used to this. So you're going to see these practices in place where people are really kind of in full protective gear. You're going to be isolating with the number of individuals you interact with. It's just everything's a little more cautious. Um, but again, we don't want to scare anyone. We don't want anyone to feel that they're not being taken care of. We are just as thorough and on top of everything. It's just there's going to be a look that's a little different than maybe just walking freely throughout the institution like you could before. What do you expect the long-term impact of COVID to be? Where do where do you see your practice in a year from now? I think the long-term effects are going to be several. Number one, there's going to be a lot of benefit that came out of this. We learned a lot about how society can handle, manage, or deal with a major pandemic, for lack of a better term. Um, 
society was not ready to be limited in terms of what they want, what they feel they should get. And I think when it came to the medical side of the world with COVID-19, they realized that all of a sudden doctors, nurses, hospitals were not the bad guys. Uh, We probably had a somewhat negative picture thought of about us. And, you know, it's not that I don't like the term hero, but we were the people who were on the front lines dealing with this, trying to save lives under the circumstances we were uh, managing them under. But the processes that we've changed for safety, the processes we've changed for community um, resiliency to make sure people understand both the words coming out of our mouths, politicians' mouth, whoever's mouth, is all about wanting to do the right thing for the right reasons. These are the things I think are going to be a long-term benefit. The short term was everybody's ticked off that you're stuck at home and you can't live your life. Well, Welcome to when you're sick. Welcome to when you can't because of some other pandemic or disaster or whatever. There's just, there are things that are going to turn out positive, but people have to not hopefully harp on the negatives from this. But a year from now, I expect we'll have better processes of getting patients in. They'll also have to understand that the word triage is a real word that most people should look up and understand it. I wrote an editorial about this because America wasn't ready for triage, taking care of the sickest patients first because the guy in the back of the line is going to be yelling, take care of me and my family. Well, you're not as sick as somebody else. So the answer is no, but everybody got used to having anything they wanted, anytime they wanted, medically speaking. That's going to be a benefit because people will now understand if I have to wait, it's okay. Yeah, I did not. I did not uh, think of it that way. That's really interesting. So I want to introduce our audio producer for this show, Trencho Flores. He has a question for you guys. So, Dr. Vale, before we went on the air, I asked you how you guys are holding up. And you said we're basically said we're doing our job. This is what we do. Kind of tell us about that and, and and why it seems like, you know, doctors, the nurses we talk to, you guys all have that mentality of this is this is it. This is what we do. Um, okay. This is going to be a very biased answer. Uh, here at Valley Wise, which used to be the county hospital, it's still referred to as that. This is just a normal day for us. We are used to dealing with the worst of the worst. And I'm not talking about the people in society. I'm talking about the worst diseases, the worst trauma, the worst, um, you know, we were the Ebola hospital. We were, you name it, we take it on. And it's just a normal day for us. And I don't mean that glibly. We are used to terrible, terrible patient encounters. We are used to terrible diseases. We're used to terrible surgical problems every single day. This is the level of care we offer because it is our normal. When it's not your normal, it can be a devastating change. But for people like us who work here, the nurses, the staff, even the people you know cleaning our floors, they're used to seeing just nasty things. This is just a normal day for us. Yeah, it's a little bit of a difference because it's called a virus instead of a trauma or a ruptured um, bowel that Dr. Goldberg's going to have to deal with. We're used to this. So I really think that the resiliency of our staff has been phenomenal. And I think our resource utilization, our thoughtfulness with changing how we do our business a day to day has been phenomenally wonderful. I, I really can't pay a high enough compliment to every single person who works at this institution uh, from administrators on down. It has just been it's humbling to say that I work here and love working here with these people because of the great job we do every day. I mean, I think Dr. Bell said it best. Honestly, I, I'll say just with one sentence, this is what we do. 
So you say this is a normal day for you, but it's not a normal day for us and, you know, the general public. So what has surprised you about the reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, as this was ramping up that you didn't really think would happen or something you, you might not have expected? I think actually, you know, people being scared is normal, but I think you've seen the the really kind part of everyone come out as well, right? Take example, the whole thing when we were worried about masks, I can't tell you the number of people that have offered and are making masks for us or making these cloth masks for other people. You're seeing the, the goodness behind people. And it's, it's an interesting thing for me. I got asked recently on an interview. I was in Manhattan on 9-11. I was a medical student when it happened. Oh, wow. And so, and so this is obviously not the same. But what I mean by that is that's another one of those moments where you as a society come together as a group and kind of stand up and hold each other up. You saw a lot of that here. And it's not that I wasn't expecting it. It's just nice to see it. Um, and it's nice to see it in times when people are scared and there's a lot of unknown going on and there's a lot of uncertainty that we can go back and as a society remember that we're still all working on this together. Absolutely. Well, we covered a lot of information today. If you uh, want to revisit some of that, um, Dr. Vale and Dr. Goldberg do have a blog on valleywisehealth.org. Right now, I encourage you to check that out. Um, Both of you, we appreciate so much the time and the information today. Our pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to Valley Well Via Salute, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you've heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org slash be well. There you'll find blogs and videos from our healthcare providers, and you can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.